Okay, praise God. To share the second session here, I want to speak about the motive, the true motive for giving. The motive for for giving that the Bible teaches as the only true motive that in the day of judgment, God will honor. You know, there was a time when there was a king that became the king of Israel. And God said to this king, he said, what would you desire from me as a gift? And this king requested that God would give him wisdom. This king, and God was so pleased that this king had chosen wisdom instead of wealth and length of days, that he gave him a, a portion of wisdom and made him the very wisest man that had been. And uh, as this king was was fulfilling his office there as king. He also was a judge. And one day, two women stood before this king and one baby, two mothers and one baby, stood before this king. And both of the mothers were claiming the baby as their own. Now this king, who had been given a portion of God's wisdom, greater than any man at this point had, I don't know what all went through his mind. I'm sure if we, he would have had DNA testing, he would have used that at that point. But he also he used a, a test on these two mothers that was probably just as sure as DNA was. And he said, just chop that baby in half. Just, soldier, come and just chop that baby in half. And, uh, and he watched the expressions on those two mothers' face. And just as sure as a DNA test, he told which one of those mothers was the true mother of that baby. They didn't chop the baby in half. They waited till the point where the king determined whose baby that was. Who was the true mother? The true mother responded and said, no, 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 no. Let, let, let her have the baby. Don't chop my baby in half. You see, the compassion that was in that mother's heart for that, her own little child rose up, and there was no way she could conceal that. And that's the way it is today. Compassion expresses itself. And judgment can be made on compassion. And on the day of judgment, that's the way we're going to be judged. Is there compassion in our hearts? And that's the motive that each one of us has in investing in God's kingdom. The whole of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we call the love chapter, is making that statement. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. It puts nothing in my bank account. It is not an investment in God's kingdom. Even if I gave my body to be burned and if I gave all my goods to feed the poor. 
Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, and whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I also know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. He says, I see through a glass darkly, but, he, but it's an act of faith. Today we see through a glass darkly. Everything we do is an act of faith. We can't see that bank account. We can't see our effect in heaven, but we trust what God has given us. And I'd like to speak about compassion, which is the motivation that God's looking for in our heart as we give, as we invest, as we, as we put our time and our effort into God's kingdom. This must come, and this compassion must come from that heart we were speaking of yesterday. That heart that has been, has had the operation, that new heart, that, that fleshly heart instead of that hard heart of stone. We need that heart of flesh that can be touched. That's the heart that can have compassion. And we want to look at a bit of compassion in the life of Christ. How he demonstrated, first of all, his heart of compassion through his ministry. Then we look, want to look at, at uh, some personal, uh, some, some other examples. But first of all, we see Christ. There was a time when Jesus, when Jesus walked through, through uh, near Jerusalem, and he make, made this statement. He said, how oft? How oft would have I gathered, gathered the people of Jerusalem like a hen does her chicks under her wings, and, and, and you would not. You know, a hen gathers those chicks under its wings to protect them. When there's a danger, when a dog comes running by, when a cat comes running by, that, those chick, that, that, that chicken, it clucks and those chicks come running. Maybe there's a rainstorm, whatever it is, protection. Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Jesus would have loved to be able to protect Jerusalem. But they rejected Christ. They rejected Christ. But Christ had compassion. Despite the rejection, Christ had compassion. Jesus was out on the, out on the mountainside. And there was a large multitude of people, maybe four or 5,000 men plus children, out there listening to him. Jesus had, had not asked anyone to come. Jesus, in fact, probably tried to evade them a bit and headed out on the mountain to get some quiet time. But the multitudes followed him. They found out where he was, and there they were. On the mountain, and they were there for a long period of time listening to Jesus teach. Jesus taught these people, 
And at the end of this teaching, he saw that the people were hungry. They hadn't eaten. They hadn't, they hadn't had a good night's rest. They were hungry and they were tired. <clears throat> and it says he had compassion on them. Compassion's not having to do here with a, an obligation. Jesus had no obligation to these people. These people came out there without his invitation, without his request. These people came after Jesus. Jesus looked on them and he saw the need and his heart was touched with compassion. Why was Jesus' heart touched with compassion? Because he had a heart of flesh. He had a soft heart. He didn't have a hard heart of stone. Hard heart of stone comes from somebody that has, has, has continued to sin and allows their heart to become stony. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's a promise of the new covenant. That's a promise of Jesus Christ. David said, I will delight to do thy will, O God, for thy law is within my heart. David had the law of God written on his heart. It was a heart law. That's why David did some of the things that Jesus mentioned about him, him breaking the law. It's because the law in his heart supersedes the law of the letter. He had the law of the Spirit on his heart also. But here we see that Jesus had a soft heart. And what does he do? He, he feeds the multitude. He had no obligation. He had no responsibility. These people were breaking up his, his intended relaxation and quiet time. Jesus went into a mountain alone, and there they come. They did, didn't give him any, any space. Jesus didn't get filled with frustration and anger. Seemed like maybe his disciples were a little bit frustrated. They were, they were expecting a little, a little reprieve, a little time alone. But Jesus here tells them, feed them. Feed the people. You know, how much, how much food do you have? Feed the people. And Jesus, out of the goodness of his heart, makes another, another draw on his account and says, feed the people. And he blessed the people with food that day because he had compassion in his heart. That's why Jesus fed him. It says, I have compassion, Luke 9, 52. Excuse me, I'm reading the wrong passage here. Matthew 15, 32. Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus owed these listeners nothing, but he said, I have compassion on them. And Jesus did. He, he fed them. He fed these people. Every one of them. There was food left over. Beautiful picture of how God graciously, more than enough, feeds ministers and meets the needs. Luke 9.52 Jesus here sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. They did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said unto him, Lord, wilt thou command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elias did? Notice the disciples wanted to use a, a prophet as their backing, you know. They had a... They had a wrong motivation here. Jesus had a heart of compassion, but the disciples here did not have that heart. They said, let's cast, bring fire down and consume these people. They're rejecting you. What does Jesus say? He turned and rebuked them. He says, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. 
You don't have that heart of compassion that you need. He tells these disciples. He says, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Mark 3, 1. We see how that Jesus reacts to these, the hard hearts of his apostles and also the other Jew, uh, his disciples and the other Jews. Mark 3, 1. He entered into a synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would tell him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. That they might accuse him. You see, they had the law. They had the law on stone. They didn't have the law in their heart. They had the old covenant stone. They had they had the, the letter says it says do no work on the Sabbath day. But they didn't have the law of God, the law of love in their heart. They didn't have the soft heart. They had the hard heart. He goes in there to heal them, and they, they, they wanted to accuse him because he did it on the Sabbath day. He said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. He didn't quietly heal the man, said, leave on the back door. No, he said, stand up. We're going to make, make a public example of this. And, he, and the man stood up. And, and we see what Jesus did here. And he said unto them, he turns to the people. He tells the man, stand up, turns to the people. And he says, is it, good to, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked round about on them with anger, we see the heart of Jesus Christ, though he had a soft heart, he, he had anger. You see, he saw the need here on one side. He saw this man with a withered hand. Many of us here today, would probably almost all of us here today, if we had a withered hand, we'd be hugely handicapped. You know, most of us work with our hands in some, some way or another. It'd be very difficult for us to... It was a very sad day for this man to have a withered hand. It was a huge handicap. He probably couldn't meet the needs of his family. So Jesus sees, and he has pity on this man. But he sees people here that care nothing for this man. He sees people here that have no not one iota of compassion in their hearts. They don't care that this man has been suffering. They have no interest in helping this man. Jesus, he's angry. And I think he's angry at that kind of heart today. The heart of God is angered when he sees needs and he sees painful and pitiful situations and men's hearts are not touched. Men's hearts are not touched with needs, with, with compassions. And it's easy for us, even as Christians, as we go through our life, to become hardened and calloused towards needs around us. What would have we done in this situation? Would, have, would have we had compassion towards the man? You know, I look at Jesus and, I'd have, and you know, I, I would have felt that Jesus would have dealt with these people more harshly than he did. He said he looked at it with anger. He didn't do anything. You know what I would have done? I would have cursed every one of them with a withered hand. That's what I would have done. I would have, I would have cursed everyone and said, healing next Saturday, if you don't believe in healing, don't come. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus had compassion. Of course, his, his job was not to straighten them out. He came to bring the gospel. He came to bring the gospel. He came to heal. He didn't come to kill, steal, and destroy, as Satan does. But Jesus' method is always best. And he healed the man, despite the fact he knew he was generating animosity in the hearts of these hard-hearted people. 
and eventually that they would kill him. He said, it says he looked about him and being grieved for the hardness of his heart. He said, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. I believe that gave Jesus pleasure to see a man that was in a pitiful situation restored and able to go back to work and able to provide for his family and meet his needs. I think this is the creative heart of God. It was Jesus in the creation that created mankind. And here's a man that's deformed out of the creation that he had made him and he and restores this man and makes him whole. And this makes God's heart happy to see a man back in his, back in his condition of, of wholeness and uh, completion that he's able to function in the, in, the, uh, in the way he was created for. Restored him whole as the other. What did the Pharisees do with the hard heart? They went out straightway and took counsel against him. How they might destroy him. They could not stand a soft-hearted person that crossed their boundaries. Okay, how can a person, even a Christian's heart, be hardened? Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, it's, it's possible for us, even though we have had that operation of God to put that heart of flesh within us, that day by day our heart gets hardened. I was talking to somebody that's in the medical field, I think it's one of you young fellows, that, that sees emergencies on a daily basis and how that it's a tendency as you see these things from day to day that your heart gets callous towards it and you don't have that feeling of emotion. And we have to exhort one another daily. What do we exhort one another to? It's to, to compassion and to show love when we see needs. We want to go a little further into this. Jesus tells some stories to us. <clears throat> Gives us a good example here with the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto them, Him, what's written in the law? How readest thou? Jesus didn't at this point tell this man, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. No, Jesus at this point had not died. The old covenant was still in place. Jesus says, Keep the law. And he answered, What's written in the law? How readest thou? He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? We see in this word neighbor, this man is thinking somebody that lives next door to me, I suppose. At least at the very limit, it would be at least another Jew, another Israelite another Hebrew of my own people. He certainly did not see a, Hebrew, a, a, a neighbor to be somebody of another nationality or somebody not in my near proximity. But we see that this, <coughs> this man asking this question, who is my neighbor? So Jesus gives him this answer to express to him, who is your neighbor? This is not to express how to receive eternal life. This is the answer. He's an, asking, answering this question by giving this parable of who is my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came by a certain priest that way, 
and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest, a man dedicated to serve God. Likewise, a Levite, when he was in that place, came and looked on and passed on the other side. They were both Jews traveling from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, the Samaritan was not local. You know how it is when you're on the highway. Maybe you're, you're in your local town here and you see somebody broke down. Maybe somebody a few miles from your house and you see him broke down. Oh, I need to stop and help him. But maybe you're making a long trip somewhere and you say, you know, I, I don't have time to stop, this, stop for this person. You know, there's, there's a million people traveling by. We could excuse ourselves. But this Samaritan, he had compassion. You see the compassion in this Samaritan's heart. It says a certain Samaritan as he journeyed. He's not even a Jew. He's not a Hebrew. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. It says when he saw him. See, that's a critical issue when you have compassion. It's when you see it. You know, so many times we get involved in ministries all over the world, and I think that's wonderful. I think everyone should be involved in foreign missions and all those things. But I think there's an element in which we have moral proximity, where there's, where there's a sense of accountability because of proximity. And here we see this man came in contact with this need, and this man saw it, and he had compassion. He saw this need and he had compassion. He was right next to the need when he saw this man bleeding. He saw this man wounded. He saw this man suffering. And he had compassion. Something in this Samaritan's heart was, was soft instead of hard. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to the host, said to him, Take care of him, and whatever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? He said unto him, He that showed mercy on him. Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Jesus said to this lawyer that had come to him, He said, you go and do likewise. You go and show compassion out of your heart. That's what it means. That's what the law means that says, love your neighbor. It doesn't mean you're the one next door. It's the need that you see, wherever it is, whether it's in the paper, whether it's beside your house, wherever it is, where you see a need, you meet that need. You show compassion. You show love. I'd like to look also at Luke 16, 19. Here's a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Probably most of us know this. It's, I believe it's a story rather than a parable because we have the name of the individual. We don't have just a certain man. We have a certain rich man <clears throat> which was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously, but he wasn't very popular in this story, and I don't think Jesus wanted to name him. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. So we have Lazarus laying at this man's gate full of sores. We have a beggar that is obviously handicapped laying at this man's gate. He's not laying across the street. He's not laying on the man's way to, the, to his office. It, it's, not, it's in this man's proximity. This poor man, this Lazarus, 
laid at the rich man's gate. And we see that this rich man, it says he fared sumptuously every day. He was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuous, constant feast. There was no lack. There was, there was everything that would have been needed in order to meet this man's need. I think that's critical, you know. It's not counted unto a man for what he doesn't have, but what he does have. God doesn't hold a person for something that's beyond his, his capacity. But here we have a rich man that had every capacity to meet this need. This man lay in a pitiful condition at his door, day after day it seems, to the point where he died. It says that the, that the dogs came and licked his sores. He wanted to, to eat from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Doesn't say that any crumbs were given him. Certainly doesn't say that there was any medical attention given to his sores. He was, his medical and his physical needs were completely ignored. Here's a man that by all means should have sparked some pity, some compassion in the heart of this man. This rich man passed this... this it doesn't say he mistreated him. He probably had a sense of morals, this, this rich man. He probably didn't even, didn't even want to be cruel enough to have this man removed. He didn't kick him. He didn't... He didn't mistreat this man, but he had no compassion in his heart to help this man. There was none. He certainly didn't act upon it. And it says, and when the beggar died, he was carried by angels into Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice the rich man's buried. The, the poor man wasn't even buried, likely. And in hell, the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, rememberest thou that in thy lifetime thou receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou are tormented. A story that Jesus gives to us about a man that was in hell. Now, I don't want to seem harsh to you, but what do I get out of this story? What should each one of us get, get out of this story? I think it's people without compassion go to hell. I think that's what this story is saying. Am I wrong? Am I right? You judge. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. It's a serious thing. Do I have compassion? It's not do I do a lot of good and do I, do I show everybody how good a person I am? Is there really any compassion in my heart? I think that's a real question. And that's a, that's a question I'd like each one of us to think about. Do I have compassion in my heart? Do I have a new heart? Is my heart soft? Or have I hardened my heart? Have I calloused my heart? I really believe Jesus is saying people that have no compassion go to hell. I believe that's what he's saying. You judge it for me. But the rich man here, he thought Lazarus should go back to his brothers and begin a ministry of warning people about hellfire. But Jesus, 
But Abraham said, no, they have all the fear they need. They have everything they need to make that decision. So we see that Jesus, he taught here that compassion is absolutely necessary. And I think that each one of us, when we think about this whole subject of stewardship and being God's, being, being a, a steward of, of God's possession and God being our owner, we need to realize the heart of God. What does he really want to see? He wants to see us as individuals, his stewards, having a soft heart. He wants us to have the heart that he has. When you're a steward from someone, you need to know what his heart is so we can have the same heart. We need to have that heart of compassion. It's not a small matter. None of us here has any interest, any desire of going to hell. And yet I believe that people can be very religious and have no compassion in their hearts. It's a personal thing. It's not a, it's not a group decision to have compassion. Every, each one of us personally will stand before God. And as we look at, at the judgment, at the judgment here in uh, Matthew 25, let's look at this judgment in, 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 in context here of this thought of compassion. You know, Solomon was able to judge the, accurately the women, the woman, the mother that was the mother of this child by the compassion that was in her heart. Here we see a judgment taking place. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. Jesus said, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, and then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hands, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto those at his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Notice what is the judgment call. On what premise does Jesus place the sheep from the goats? He says, For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. We could spend a lot of time on each one of these subjects and recognize that we have the hungry, we have the thirsty, we have the stranger, and we have the naked, we have the sick, we have the imprisoned, we have those among us. Is our heart of compassion touched for those? Here he says, I was, I was all these things. I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger and you took me and I was naked and you clothed me. He's speaking to those on the right hand. He was speaking to the sheep. Those, he said, you have had compassion in your life. You have shown compassion. When you saw needs, you met the needs because your heart was right, because you had a heart of compassion. They said, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came to thee? And the king shall say unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. 
Jesus saying, my, the, the action that you've done to your fellow man is accounted to you as though you had done it to me. And he goes on to say, and the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you, you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then he shall say also to them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto, unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So we have the hungry, we have the thirsty, we have the naked, we have the stranger, we have the sick, we have those in prison. Jesus is calling us, cast our bread upon the waters. Jesus is calling us, invest our time in people. Invest our time in the kingdom of God. Don't do it from a legalistic perspective. Don't do it with a judgmental attitude, a critical attitude. Don't do it with, with an accountant attitude of figuring out how much I've invested in God's kingdom. Do it with a, with a heart of compassion. If you've done it to the, to the least of these of the kingdom, you've done it for him. And uh, in the kingdom of God, as we as stewards interact with the owner, a steward that, that is a successful steward, a steward that is a faithful steward is one that knows the heart of the owner. And the heart of the owner is compassion. And if you will be a good steward, you will be a steward of compassion. And that is the means in which you will Make your investments into the eternal kingdom of God. As you invest what God's put into your life, it's selling out to the world. It's, selling, it's, not, it's, not, it's not loving the world. It's, it's putting our love for God above all else. And as a steward, we invest in what we know has returns. And when we invest, what does he say to the least of who? These my brethren. He says, especially to them that are the household of faith. So the first step, the highest route returns on reward is going to be investing to the faithful, to the believers. First of all, meet the needs around you. First of all, meet the needs of the believers. And secondly, do good to all men. So that's our call as Christians. We're not, we're not here spending time waiting till Jesus returns. We're here. We're here to be active. We're here as messengers. We're here as agents. And God has invested in you. And he delights to see you doing his work. It's not drudgery. It's not a, it's, he's not a hard master. We take one step. He says he rewards us a hundredfold for it. Take that step forward. Especially speaking to you youth. It's a time in your life to make those commitments. I am the Lord's servant. He owns me. And I'm going to invest my life in his kingdom. You're going to be facing decisions probably in the very near future. Maybe decisions of, of your jobs, a marriage partner, the location you're going to live, the church, mission work, whatever you may be facing. Huge decisions. Those decisions should be made in light of some of these truths.
the kingdom of God, investing my life into that kingdom. When Christ returns, he's going to see some faithful believers here. Thessalonians says those that are alive and remain means to say there will be. And those of you that have committed your life to be stewards of Jesus Christ are going to be those faithful that are not going to be deceived by the Antichrist, are not going to be not going to be a lord away from Christ by the world. You're going to stand faithful. But you need to be careful because Satan is cunning, crafty, covetousness. The, the trinkets and the toys of this world are just more abundant than you can imagine. They're just multiplying with every, with every year. They're multiplying. And there are ways that Satan trying to take your eyes away from the true calling of Christ. We need to keep our hearts soft before God. Young people, it's a time for you to be praying about what God has for you to do in God's in His kingdom. And those of us that are older need to be faithful in carrying the torch, investing in God's kingdom, encouraging our youth. It's, it's been a wonderful time, and I'm, I'm excited to know what the Lord's going to do with this group of youth. And thank you all for, for listening to me. It's been a pleasure to be here. May God bless you.